0: This is Stacy Eldridge. Welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways, but the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing is to give our attention to Jesus. Welcome, beloveds of God, you who are dearly loved, planned on and wanted by the King of Glory. I am so glad to get to spend this time with you. May you be blessed and encouraged and met by Jesus in something that is shared today. Today, I am honored to have as my guest my friend Melanie Boudreau. Melanie came into my life about 20 years ago when she attended her first captivating event, but I didn't really meet her. Not there. I met her years later when we began hosting women at the well gatherings at the outpost. Melanie comes faithfully every month. Sometimes by herself, but most often bringing a friend or two. The most important thing for you to know about Melanie is that she loves Jesus, and she loves spending time worshiping Him. She is a woman who is totally captured by her King. Her life is His. He has her yes, and it is a beautiful thing to witness their mutual love unfold in her shared life with him. It's led her to some amazing people and places and experiences, but mostly it has led her deeper into our God's heart. So, Melanie, thank you for being with us today.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for inviting me on this podcast. Of course, I don't ever miss a a session. So getting to participate in person is uh, really a thrill to my heart. Thank you, Stacey. Oh, it's great. It's so great to have you. So with that introduction, it might
0: sound like Melanie soars always in her life and always has, but she's like all the rest of us, really, in that her life didn't progress in the way she imagined. And in many ways, because of Christ, it is way better than she could have ever imagined. But that doesn't mean that her road has been an easy one or her journey smooth. It's been hard. There's been seasons where it's been very hard. That is where I find so much encouragement and learning from a woman's story of struggle, of hard, of being taken to the mat and finding that Jesus is there. But before we talk more about that, Melanie, I'm just wondering if you would just share with us a little bit about your story, or a lot of bit about your story.
1: So I was raised in a fairly dysfunctional family. And because of that, I thought when I became an adult, I really wasn't very interested in ever getting married. I didn't want a home life that was fraught with screaming and yelling and violence and the things that that I was raised in. Mm. And so I I had no intention of getting married. And then I went to college and I met my husband and he became my best friend. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be so awkward to try to stay his best friend if he marries someone else. That's not going to work. <laughs> so I thought I'm going to need to marry him so that <laughs> I could be with him for the rest of my life. Mm. So, so that's what I did, and I and I married well. Uh, he's a wonderful man. We've been married for 38 years now. But I was a bit of a train wreck when we married, and consequently, we waited six years before we had children. And um, I actually have a, a message that I wrote the first time for a small church in Palawan in the Philippines. And the message that I wrote was, how do you respond when you don't get what you expected when you expected it for all the right reasons?
0: Oh, that's good.
1: Yeah. And uh, the message was so well received. There's such a beautiful people. But the pastor came up to me after the service, just crying and saying, thank you so much for bringing us this message because uh, I am over a network of churches and I'm the only one that doesn't own my own building and this is our last Sunday in this building mm-hmm. that we rent and the owners have decided to sell it and and this is it. I, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know where we're going from here and I really needed this message today. In that in that message, Stacy, it was actually an Easter message and what I shared was uh, a, a contrast between Judas when he didn't get what he expected and Mary when she didn't get what she expected, so to speak. So Judas, for all the right reasons, expected this triumphant king that would come and overthrow Rome. And instead, he thought he could force Jesus' hand by turning Jesus over to the authorities. And we don't recognize that actually what he expected was, was scriptural. But he didn't surrender his will to God. And Mary, on the other hand, you know, when you look at the prophetic words that she was given by the angel when she became impregnated with Jesus, the words that were spoken to her were so hopeful of this this Christ King. And yet she watched Jesus suffer. She watched him die on the cross. But her response was not as Judas, where I'm going to take control of this. Her response was surrendering, pondering these things in her heart. And so I had my, my three children. My firstborn was um, neurotypical. And Stacy, as you know, my, my second two children have neuropsychiatric challenges. And it wasn't the life that I expected when I had thought I would have a uh, home life that was not full of screaming and holes in the wall and violence, that's exactly what I ended up with, only I couldn't divorce it. Mm. Mm. it it's it's my babies. It's it's my beloved children. And And what do you do with that? Mm. How do you respond when you don't get what you expected when you expected it for all the right reasons?
0: I, I love that sentence. Before I ask you more about your journey with your children,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I want to go back a little bit with your journey with Christ. Mm-hmm. When did you become a woman, surrendered to him? Or can you tell a story of when you fell in love with him?
1: Yeah. So every interview that you do on this podcast, you ask that question and I try to answer it in the moment uh-huh and every week i have a different answer well then what is it what is it today <laughs> so um because i'm in love with my jesus i mean i've had so many beautiful encounters with him and every encounter it just it re-ups my faith it re-ups my love for him but the one i wanted to talk about today was uh during that season when we were just getting my second child diagnosed um uh, her diagnoses include uh, autistic spectrum, obsessive-compulsive, ADHD, Tourette's syndrome, and her latest diagnosis is bipolar. But in the midst of that uh, battle to get her diagnoses and to find out what we were dealing with and why we were having all the rage attacks and all the things that we didn't understand about her neurology, we had just moved here to Colorado Springs, and we had come from a uh, a church in a small town where we started. There were 25 people. We left. It was about 600 people in attendance, and we were integral to the life of the church. I I ministered at the altar every time there was an altar call. I, uh, My husband and I team-taught. We led small groups. Church was everything. We were there every time the doors opened, and then we moved here to Colorado Springs, right at about the time that That life was hitting the fan with our daughter that we didn't know what to do with, how to raise, how to get success with our parenting. How old was she then? She was in kindergarten. Okay. So my firstborn was third grade, she was kindergarten, and I was pregnant. Mm, Okay. So, extremely difficult season, isolated. God led us to a mega church, which we'd never been in before, but both of us heard this is where we need to be. So, we weren't making friends quickly. Everything was divide and conquer. But Stacy, what really shocked me was when I was no longer feeding other people, I lost my hunger for Jesus. Interesting. Yeah. If you had told me that was going to happen, yeah. I would not have believed you. Right. Because I love God. Mm-hmm. And the love that I have for people when I minister to people comes from God. Yes. And so the thought that I wouldn't be hungry anymore just wouldn't have rung true to me. And yet, I wasn't teaching. I wasn't praying for people. I wasn't ministering, and I lost my hunger. Mm-hmm. And boy, that was a red flag. Mm. Plus, I was in the midst of this crisis. Yes, I have this child. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's wrong. And boy, that was a red flag. And I took notice. Mm-hmm. And I hit my knees mm. and began pursuing Jesus with a passion and uh, or a desperation. Uh, yes, a desperation. That's a better word. Uh, desperation. It's just like oh my goodness, why?
2: Mm.
1: Why have I lost my hunger for you? Mm. I, I, would have, I would have never wanted it to be connected to feeding others. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, my children jokingly referred to the downstairs bathroom as the white porcelain throne room. <laughs> 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 because I would be up at the crack of dawn and lock the door and they uh-huh, have to go That was upstairs. your place. You can't Interrupt me here. Exactly. So they would have to, you know, my daughter would have to go upstairs to use the restroom because I had commandeered the downstairs bathroom. And this went on for years. Mm. I mean, to go from being integral to the life of a church to having no voice except for just you and Jesus, like mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. I just, I just fell in love with him all over again because he was there for me. Mm. That was that time that uh, things began to unravel for me in recognition of where my identity was and how desperately I needed God. And that's when the ministry of Ransomed Heart, now called Wild at Heart, came into my life, mm. and Jesus began to expose things mm. because of His love, yes, and His desire. Yeah. yeah. So you fell in love with Him on the bathroom floor.
0: <laughs> on the bathroom floor <laughs> in a season of utter
1: desperation. Yes. And he was there for me. He was there. Yeah. He's still there. Yay him. I have graduated, however. I now have a worship room.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But a great bathroom. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: My daughter grew up and she booted me. (laughs) Did she? Out of there, mom. Yeah. I had to move all my books and everything.
0: What have been, because I know you're, you're so authentic and you share vulnerably from your life, and that's what we need the real. Mm-hmm. Um, so, could you talk about what have been some of the challengers, or what was the journey like, or what have been the gifts in it?
1: Yeah, good questions. I think early on, one of the biggest gifts was the recognition that my identity was not rooted in Christ, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. it was rooted in what you're. Ability
1: to, to meet other people or? No, my identity was rooted in my, uh, my competence. Okay. My performance. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it. Uh, I didn't know it really until I went to the Captivating Conference. Mm-hmm. And at the Captivating Conference, I, I mean, God just blew it open for me and showed me that I was using competence to hide shame. Not shame. Wow. Yeah, it was huge. Not shame that came because my children throw rage attacks in public, but historic shame. Mm. Yeah. And uh, as long as I was performing with excellence, then I could hide that shame. Right. You were
0: outrunning your history.
1: Yes. Right. And now suddenly I have a newborn baby. I have a kindergartner who rages 20 times a day Mm. that I can't get potty trained. You know, my mindset was you work the plan, you plan the work, you work the plan, you have success. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a straight A student. I graduated highest honors, University of Texas. The reason I could do that was because when they said, read this chapter, write this outline, memorize this material, I did it, and I made straight A's. I mean, right? It's These not... are the rules. This is what you do, yeah. and then this is the outcome. It... Expect good things. Exactly. It's not rocket science, right? So now you have children. It's not rocket science. You commit your life. You do the work. You read the book. You, you do read... the seven exactly. steps. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And your kids turn out great. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no. Or maybe they're putting holes in the wall and mm. throwing furniture, and maybe they're raging in yeah. public, and maybe they're not transitioning well, and mm. and maybe I don't understand their neurology, right? Maybe I don't understand what's going on, and I don't have any experience with mental health issues or neuropsychiatric problems, so I'm looking massively incompetent. It's not about me, but but still, but still, it was humiliating. Yeah. You know, homegrown humiliation. Not just the judgment, which I had plenty of, but the homegrown humiliation. I'm not living up to standards. By homegrown, you
0: mean the one that's coming from your internalized yes. desires or perception. I mean, everybody can relate to this. Right. Everybody. Don't we all want to be the best mamas? Well, yes. And, and our identity gets really wrapped up into how our children are doing. Exactly. And that takes an intervention of God.
1: Yes, yeah. yes. And my children were not doing well, not doing well. And so I went to this captivating conference and discovered that uh, competence was what I was using to, to hide shame. And um, I had no idea the way that my identity, not rooted in Christ, was actually blocking so much in my life. Like I, I couldn't live wholeheartedly. I didn't even have access to desire. Mm. So I I literally had to work backwards from the shame to find the wound to find desire.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay, the sentence that you just said I want to highlight is that you said you were using competence yes to hide shame. Yes. Without ever knowing. It was not like you made this, you know, cognizant decision. Exactly. I know. I'm I have a deep-rooted shame for my own story. Things I've done, things that were done to me, the life that I have lived, um, the wounds I received. And so in order to not have that anymore, I'm just going to be extremely competent. Right. And then what I'm hearing you say is that God like showed you that and invited you to a different way.
1: That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the questions that was asked at that first retreat is, what do you think your lover is asking you to risk? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Capital L Lover, by
1: the way. Yes, right, right. The lover of your soul, Mm -hmm. the most high God. What Mm -hmm. is he asking you to risk? Mm -hmm. Did you have an answer? Of course. (laughs) Yeah, getting in over my head. Wow. Oh, and not being competent. Right. Woo. Yeah, right? And I mean, since then, I've learned, Stacey. Like, I call it, um, I actually blogged on this. I called it, um, Are You Responsible? because what he's shown me is that I'm not responsible for outcome. I'm responsible for stewardship,
2: mm.
1: right? My job is to love right? well. My job is to be abide with Christ, uh-huh. to be in union with Jesus. That's uh-huh. my job, yeah. to love my children, to to put everything in it. But I'm not responsible for outcome. I can't control them. I can control me. Okay. Listen to that one again. <laughs> like press pause and rewind because that's pretty
0: tough but it's really true
1: it's so true it's so true so as believers what we tend to do what i used to tend to do was to accept assignments where i'm bringing 95 percent competency to the table right so then that five percent that i'm not sure of that's my faith walk that i'm trusting jesus oh jesus help me with this five percent that i don't know how to resolve i don't know how i'm going to fund this or how i'm going to get this staffing or you know whatever and and that's it but the problem with that model is that you have a ceiling of your competency for what you can do in and through Christ it's like that's not what he calls us to do I mean if the if Jesus himself said I can do nothing apart from the father how much more so can I do nothing apart from the father. But even so, I try to visualize it as 5% and 95%. Like, okay, I'm stewarding my 5% well, even though it's really zero. But I'm (laughs) stewarding my 5% well. I'm going to bring my 5%. Christ is the 95%. And now there is no ceiling. Anything can happen. So for the humor of that, what that looks like is I am not an autism interventionist, PhD level right? I spoke at the World Autism International Congress in Houston. (laughs) I spoke at the Pan-African Congress on Autism, right? Talk about out of my league. So my life now is all about living outside of my comfort zone, Mm. out of my realm, Mm. what I'm competent or capable of doing, Mm. because Christ in me, there is no ceiling. Beautiful, beautiful. um, Melanie is a passionate woman,
0: In case you haven't picked that up already. (laughs) Beautifully passionate. Part of this passion and wisdom and all that she has learned and lived, Melanie poured into a book called Toppling the Idol of Ideal, Raising Children with Hidden Disabilities. I want to read to you the back cover. The stats are changing. It's no longer just the rare family who has a child with autism, ADHD, ADHD. Tourette syndrome or other brain chemistry concerns as parents raising children with these or other hidden disabilities we need compassionate voices who can listen and help us with the practical issues fighting despair judgment and educational hurdles deciding about medications handling the labeling and negotiating the responses of schools and the church perhaps most importantly we need assurances that our children will be okay and that we will survive and even thrive spiritually as we grapple with the daily challenges. We are contending for their destiny as well as ours. Okay, just listening to that is just infused with hope and truth and power. Um, Melanie writes, from her own story, but she is a wise woman. So can I just ask you, what led you to write the book? Compassion. Oh, did you come alongside other parents that, um, that you saw needing it?
1: Yeah. So what I did was I wrote the book that I wished I'd had uh, when I got it when I got started. Yeah, yeah. I knew nothing about mental health issues. I knew nothing about hidden disabilities you know meaning a, a disability that someone has that you can't look at them and tell
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean it's one thing if you have a child with an overt disability maybe uh, an intellectual impairment everyone can look at that child and see that there's a problem and there's a grace that's afforded you yes right when the child squeals in the movie theater or yeah. something but when you have a child with a hidden disability instead you get assumptions and judgment yeah like you're not doing it right right like a whole different ball game and so this was all brand new territory for me. And, and so I, I didn't know of anything that was out there that addressed those issues. And what I did when I wrote the book is I took uh, practical issues and I took spiritual issues and I merged them because our lives are integrated. You can pick up at, at any bookstore a book on special needs on, uh, neuropsychiatric challenges. You can go to the bookstore and pick up a devotional book, a book about Jesus and how mm-hmm. he can come for you. Mm-hmm. But to, but that specific niche yes. of the practical and the spiritual in one book for parents that are wrestling, navigating through the world of hidden disabilities, I just didn't know of anything out there. So I wrote it, but I didn't just write it because it was a good idea. <laughs> So I, I actually had uh, a friend whose son was uh, good friends with my son, and it didn't take long before I could see the massive disconnect between his school records, his behavior, and his heart.
0: Oh, yeah. He's just
1: precious. Uh-huh. You know, he's a young man now. Um, precious boy. And so I went to his mama and very carefully said, um, I am not uh, authorized. Uh, qualified to diagnose your son, but, um, but I'm really sharp at spotting things, uh-huh. so I think you might need to get your son evaluated. So she got him evaluated, and yes, he had a hidden disability. And so for the next two years, I mentored her for how to navigate having a, a neurotypical child at home and a child with a neuropsychiatric challenge. And for those two years, she's like, you need to write a book. Yes. You need to write a book. You yes. need to write a book. And not once, Stacy, did I take that admonition seriously. Not once. Because you write a book after you can tie a neat bow on the top right. of All your done. story. All done. Everything
0: is good now. Right. Not yeah. when
1: you're in the middle of a mess. Mm. But isn't that, I mean, this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me, that's when people need the interventions. Yeah, you're in, in the, the trenches the, with right. them. Right. If when you can thrive in the midst of the mess, that's a story. Yes. Right. So that was the that was the first, which I didn't listen yet. Then I was at a meeting uh, where a woman delivered a message to me. She didn't know me from Eve, didn't know I had any children, but God spoke to her in that meeting. And so she delivered this message to me. I believe I hear God saying that you are going to write a book to help other parents navigate medical conditions like your son's. Oh my goodness. Yes, two well, That's out, spot on. Yeah, two out of 3 of my kids have neuropsych challenges. Mm-hmm. So that got my attention. So I began praying into this. I'm asking Jesus, give me a title, give me an outline, okay? All right. Obviously, after 2 years of being told I should write a book that I didn't hear and then I got that direct word, okay, I'm listening. So then I'm actually at your conference, Stacey. I'm at Glen Erie sitting in the front row, which is my custom, next to a woman. I'd never met her before. She looks at me and she says, are you a writer? Oh, awesome. And I'm like, why do you ask? And inside <laughs> I'm laughing now because I know yeah. what's on my heart. Yeah. And she goes, because I am a prophetic seer, which means God speaks to her in pictures. Oh, okay. And she says, and I see a gold pin floating in front of your face. <laughs> So I laughed and said, uh, "And said, well, actually, uh, God has told me to write a book, but he hasn't given me the title or the outline yet. So I keep praying into it. A few months later, I try to go to sleep and Holy Spirit starts downloading. I stay up all night long and I wrote what ended up chapters 11 and 12 in my book, Church and Mental Health. Wow. So in the morning, I'm like, what was that? What just happened? <laughs> more of that, please. Yes, more of that, please. So I called my friend. I work for an organization called Apostolic uh, Intercessors Network, and I have a coworker, uh, Dr. Gail. She's a licensed psychologist. So I said, uh, Gail, can you please help me with this? I'm not a Ph.D. I'm not a psychologist. Um, I need to vet this. I believe this is what God downloaded all night to me. So she read that, those chapters. And she goes, honey, why haven't you written a book? Oh, <laughs> uh, <aw. laughs> Precious. And she's, she had written four books at that point. Uh-huh. So she's, and so I said, because I've been praying into it and I asked God for the title and the outline and he hasn't given it to me. And she goes, honey, that's not how you write a book. <laughs> 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 she says, you just write the bricks as he gives them to you. Yes. And, and then you assemble it. Then you put it together. And that took away the writing block and bam, the book was written. Oh, that's so
0: good. That's so good. So uh, we'll put the name of the book in the show notes. But again, it's toppling the idol of ideal. And this book is for everyone. Yes. This isn't only for parents with children who have hidden disabilities. This is literally for everyone. Yes. Um, one of my favorite chapters, you write about our true identity. And we've already touched on that some about um pulling it out from who your children are or how they're doing or if they're behaving the way you think they ought to be behaving in public. You don't have the Norman Rockwell kind of painting <laughs> for the family, right. sitting around the table. It's very, very different than that. Mm-hmm. But we've talked some about that. Mm-hmm. But what I would love you to expand on, which is really linked to this, is truth versus lies. hmm so it's all enmeshed. It's all interspersed in there, our true identity. Um, what, were, what were some of the lies that would come against you in the midst of, and I know you're not done. You still have your beautiful children, but what are the, some of the lies yes. that come against you in it?
1: You know, the barrage of lies is constant. Whether or not you're raising children with hidden disabilities. Right. Whether or not you're, you're owning your space. and excelling or not. I mean, the lies are constant. And and frankly, I, I think it's critical for all of us to recognize the voice of diminishment, which the lies often come. Absolutely. You know, the voice of diminishment tells you what you can't do, tells you who you're not. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a challenge in your life, like your marriage or the children that you're raising and trying to get that right, trying to get that better, the counsel that you're offered internally. Um, is not helpful. Like what? For example, um, there was a point in time where my daughter was put on an antipsychotic. Mm -hmm. My daughter is not psychotic. Mm -hmm. My daughter is beautiful, brilliant, talented, gifted. She does have challenges. She had challenges growing up, but that just doesn't happen to be one of her issues. But she was put on an antipsychotic and the name of the medication just took me out. Oh, It took me out. And the lie that I was being told was, because your child is on an antipsychotic, she will never be considered marriage material. Mm. She'll never have a life. Mm. She'll never be able to feel fulfilled. I mean, just a whole string of things that went with the class name. Yes, yes. Of a medication. Yeah. And I had to fight that. It's like, Jesus, that's not his destiny for her and she's she's had a significant relationship since high school. She's thirty years old. and she's she's wonderful. She's so good for him, and he's good for her, so this this
0: ties into you saying you're fighting for their destiny, yes. you get this message of who she will never be. And also the weighted thing of of her being just laden with limitations, yes, and sorrow, yes. And your mama's heart mm-hmm. just said no or just help me God, or what? Because because for some listeners, mm-hmm. it's an accurate diagnosis. And for some, they might feel this right now, that there's massive limitations over their children.
1: So one of the things that actually my daughter has taught me to do is to not look, you know, we have the word disability. I don't like the word disability. Right. I prefer other-abled, right? Oh, that's good. Right. So it's like what my daughter's taught me is like, no, let's look at abilities. Yes. Right? What are the abilities? I, I knew this man that was hearing impaired, and I was just a teen and uh, had these great conversations with him. I was um, mildly fluent in sign language at the time, and I was talking to him about divine healing for his, uh, for his inability to hear, and he, and he was earnest. He's like, I don't want to be healed. He's like, I have the most precious, uninterrupted times with Jesus. Wow. Like, noise would be an affront to me. Mm. He's like, I don't want it. Like, he had this, this special space with Jesus because he was what we would call hearing impaired, right? He would consider us impaired because we had to hear. Oh, that's so good. Yes. God's perspective is so different from ours, but really it's the the presence of Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus. Can he say amen to what I'm verbalizing? Oh, that's so good. Right? Yes. So like if I'm just naming a situation, I mean, that's great to, to be able to spot what's happening and to name it, to say, my day is inundated with screaming and yelling. All right. Amen. That's true. Uh huh. Right? That's yeah. true. But I can't handle this. That's an interpretation and it's faulty.
0: <sighs> yeah. There you go.
1: Exactly. In Christ, absolutely, I can handle it. I can love well in the midst of assault. I can love well in the midst of anything, right? With Christ in me. Yes. And that's the space where I want to go to to differentiate between when am I just acknowledging? The my circumstances. When am I just naming what I'm seeing versus interpreting that in a in a light that's actually coming into agreement with the enemy? So, Stacy, there's a verse. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible about um, the word of the Lord activating angels on assignment, right? So, if I'm instead of declaring these negative interpretations, if I am declaring that what God says is true over my life, over my children, I'm enforcing the kingdom of God over my life. And I'm literally activating the angelic realm to carry it out, ah, to manifest the goodness of God in my life.
0: That is so good. There is so much power in that. Mm. You're agreeing with scripture. You're yes. agreeing with God and all of heaven is activated. Yes. On behalf of the truth. Now think
1: of the converse. Oh, right? Right? Yeah. When we verbalize our agreements with the enemy, are we activating havoc in our lives? Maybe. Sobering thought.
0: Mm. So it's really important to pay attention, isn't it? To what we are thinking and not to ignore the reality of life. Like this is real. This is true. I'm not going to pretend like it's different than it is. Yeah. This is happening. And... What is God's perspective on this? What does He say? How is He going to come through and meet? And what's true about me and my identity?
1: Name it, grieve it, and bring it to Him. You know, we think about the Israelites in the wilderness, and we're like, "Well, I don't want to be like that." They were they were gripers, they were complainers, right? Oh, I don't want to do that. And we think, "Well, Paul said to be content in whatever state I'm in, whether I'm abounding or abased, like to be content." So then we We sort of merge those two concepts in our mind. But in reality, the problem wasn't that the Israelites acknowledged their suffering. It wasn't that they recognized it. It wasn't that they named it. The problem was that they took it to one another and to complain to Moses. And God's response was, if you had brought this to me, I would have borne you up like on the wings of an eagle and carried you into my bosom right? That was God's response to them, but that's not what they did, right? And so, but we know that the acknowledging their suffering wasn't the issue because Jesus, he suffered, he acknowledged his suffering, he sweat drops of blood, right? He cried out with a loud voice. When we look at Jesus in the garden when he was about to go to the cross, like, you know, we have these paintings that show him all pious with light shining out of heaven at him and, and his, you know, look of serenity. Hello, I've read the text. That's not what the scene was like. It was loud tears and crying, right? Yes. But who was he crying to? His father, mm. his father, mm. right? And so we know that loud crying, acknowledgement of our suffering, even to the point of not wanting to walk through it, just the earnestness of that moment. Yeah. Yeah, the honesty of that moment, that that's not sin. It's not weakness, right? Yeah. That in no way does that displease the Father.
0: To close, Melanie, is there any final things that you would like to say? Say to
1: parents, say to our listeners. I did want to share three takeaways. Okay, good. So the first is to source your identity in Christ. He alone gets to define who you are and who your child is, not the assessments of those that are evaluating your parenting or even those that are evaluating the behavior of your children. So the second takeaway is, oh, one of the names of God is Elroy, the God who sees. He sees you. He sees your pain. He sees your child's pain, Mm. and his response is compassion, not judgment. So the third takeaway is perhaps one of John's favorites, and that's resiliency. Mm. Resiliency comes from a deeply personal, revelatory knowledge of the character and goodness of God, not from the things that are going well or circumstances that are resolving find him in your story. Love him from where you are. Renew your union with him. Allow pain to drive the truth of his word deep into your spirit, and you'll find nothing is capable of competing with your love and your passion for him.
0: Yes, God. Melanie, thank you. (sighs) Friends, you might want to listen to this one again. So many gold nuggets. Take them to heart. Thank you, Melanie, and bless you, friends. Till next time.